Hello, and welcome to the latest recording in the Global Perspectives podcast series. My name is Matthew Bullock. I'm the EMEA Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy. And today, we're fortunate to be joined by Hamish Chamberlain, Portfolio Manager and Head of Global Sustainable Equities here at Janice Henderson. So great to have you here, Hamish. Good to be here. So, Hamish, I spend most of my time working with clients around the world, and I talk about building portfolios and talking about some of the key themes that are in the marketplace and the area of sustainability comes up all the time, but it really sort of splits the audience. Sustainable investing is getting plenty of headlines right now, especially around the impact that interest rates could have, um, but also the return outlook as a result of that. And then at the same time, we're seeing lots of press, particularly in the US, where it's really questioning investments into, susta into sustainable assets and whether that means accepting lower returns. So as we're seeing this impact of higher rates flow through to many of the sectors associated with sustainability, what gives you cause to be optimistic? Yes, yeah, so it, certainly the, the financial environment has changed and that has definitely had an impact um, on many of the companies that we're looking at. Um, I think what I'd start by saying is that sustainable investing is obviously a very broad church still. Um, and it covers many different sectors and parts of the economy. And we've always had a very um, clear um, definition of what sustainable investing means to us. And for us, it's all about alignment. This alignment between investing in the transformation to a more sustainable global economy and that being highly aligned with finding attractive investment opportunities. Uh, and, and namely, so the idea of secular growth. You know, we think the companies that are going to have the best secular growth prospects are those that are aligned with that transition to a more sustainable global economy. Now, with higher interest rates, obviously that is a, a headwind to investment. And I think you know, the transition to a sustainable global economy does require investment, obviously. You know, we're thinking about um, the greening of buildings, the electrification of transport, um, um, the uh, you know, um, um, decarbonizing our electricity systems, um, digitalization. Um, there's a lot of areas that require investment, and investment is obviously uh, facilitated or, or made easier with lower interest rates. I think in terms of the market perception, what we've seen this year is quite a mechanical reaction to higher interest rates, and that being applied to discount rates. And certainly you've seen valuation compression across many of the sectors um, that we look at, across many of the companies um, that we follow. You know, really outside of the uh, um, sort of areas of, of high-performance computing and artificial intelligence, it's been quite a challenging market environment this year across, across all sectors, um, and that certainly includes sustainability. Um, the thing that gives us cause for optimism, though, is that when we look at the underlying growth, um, it's still there. So the share prices are telling us that there's been a bit of a lull. Um, however, when we look at the underlying statistics, we can see there's still growth very much in evidence. So just a statistic is that in the US, um, more than 250 um, clean energy and manufacturing type projects have been announced so far this year. And that's across places like um, electric vehicle manufacturing, battery um, investment, um, renewable energy projects, um, real estate. So there's stuff that's still happening um, underlying this. And the, fi and the financial performance the underlying cash flow generation of many of these um, companies that we follow has remained very strong. And just on that 250 um, energy projects mentioned in the US, and 
I don't want to go sort of too deep into politics, but what influence does politics, in, in this example, the US, have upon the sort of future success of those 250-plus projects? Uh, so I've been doing sustainable investing for quite a long time now, so, and I've seen quite a few political cycles um, over that time. I still remember very clearly um, 2016 when we had Brexit in that year, and that was also the year that Donald Trump was elected. And we had a lot of concerns that were voiced at the time was what was the prospect for um, cleaner energy projects um, with the election of Donald Trump. And, and at the time, I remember very clearly saying that um, we didn't expect there to be a negative impact at all. Uh, and, and there are a few reasons for that. One is that the economics um, continue to get more and more compelling. And when we look at the sort of the cost parity with cleaner energy, whether that be solar and wind with traditional sources of generation, whether that cold and natural gas, whether we look at sort of the, the trajectory of um, the cost of electric cars and their parity in terms of cost of total cost of ownership with uh, gasoline cars, those economics are becoming much, much more favorable over time. And we thought and we expected the investment to carry on regardless. And the other dynamic as well, which I think is an interesting one, is that a lot of the investment and a lot of the job creation that's happening in the United States is happening in red states. So it's actually the red states which tend to be um, are benefiting um, more than the blue states um, from a lot of this clean um, technology and clean energy um, type of investment. Right. And so there, has, there is actually quite strong bipartisan support for things such as the Inflation um, Reduction Act and these um, government incentives. Okay, didn't know that. And, and yeah, well, let's move from, from politics, but I want to go into something else that's in some ways equally as exciting, talking about regulation. Now, regulation, especially around sustainable investing, feels like almost every day there's something in the paper talking about either you know more regulation a focus on asset management in particular so how are you feeling about the regulatory environment for sustainable investing and you know, very importantly where the industry is going to be heading um so that's quite a loaded question um in some ways uh um you know i think you know the regulation that's happening across sustainable investing and across esg it's it's, it's, it's well-intentioned. Um, and, you know, it is a very um, complex area. And, um, you know, investors are struggling to understand the differing products that are available. Um, and obviously, we hear a lot about greenwashing. Um, and so we, and, and there's also, you know, the other aspect of regulation. It's not only, to, it's not only aiming to help um, investors understand or navigate their way around the space better, but there's also an aspect to the companies and, and making sure that companies are... Um, allocating capital and 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 changing um, in a positive direction. The in the near, t I mean, I regard it as a as a journey ultimately, and I think we're at the very beginning of the journey. Um, and at the beginning of the journey, there's a high degree of complexity. And the reality is is that if anything, I think it's leading to more confusion rather than less confusion as we look at the world as we look around the world today. You know, every single region has got a slightly different approach. You know, the SEC, the FCA, the European Union have all got different regulatory frameworks or pathways with regards to sustainability and ESG. And as a global manager, um, that is creating a lot of complexity um, for me. And I see my clients and it's creating a huge amount of confusion complexity for my clients. However, when we look out over the next 10 years where we're traveling towards, um, you know, you know, we're going to be going towards a scenario where companies are, I mean, and this is actually another key point, is just the consistency of the data that's being reported by companies. Mm -hmm. In some ways, we're putting the cart before the horse, regulating the asset managers before the companies are all reporting data in a consistent format across the world 
know, I sort of draw the analogy to international um, 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 you know, accounting standards. Um, until there is sort of a common basis of data that's consistently reported by companies across the world and common standards with regards to sustainability, it then makes it very difficult for portfolio managers or investment managers to um, produce consistent data on their portfolios. However, that's the world I think we're going to travel towards over the next 10 years. I don't think it's going to be a smooth 10 years, but I think we'll get there. So I mean, a bit earlier on, I think it was the first question um, that I asked, you threw out a few different sectors that were interesting, and I, I wrote some of these down as quickly as I could. You talked about buildings, electrification, uh, transportation, digitalization, and then the, the list goes on. But mm. out of all of this, where, where are you focusing your time? Where is the sort of the real winners that you're expecting to see in the coming, let's say, sort of five, ten years? Um, sure. So, I mean, um, um, you know, they're, they're companies that are aligned with those sectors that you've just mentioned. I think one of the big trends that we're really focused on, we see, that we see cutting across really all parts of the economy, all sectors um, in, in the markets, um, is, is something that we call the dead nexus, the, uh, the digitalization, electrification, and decarbonization. The dead nexus. Yeah, the DED nexus. Okay. Um, so th th this idea that digitalization and electrification we see as you know, very powerful secular trends that are happening across all parts of the economy. We need to electrify and we need to digitalize in order to decarbonize. But you know, they are very um, important vectors of decarbonization. Um, so if we, this, if we break that down and then go into sort of you know, different sectors, you know, we, we, I've talked about the greening of buildings. You know, there's a lot of investment that's required to improve the efficiency of buildings and to improve the, um, um, the uh, um, I suppose, the infrastructure and technology embedded within buildings. So we see a lot of opportunities in companies exposed to that sector, um, whether they be in the low voltage electrical space um, whether they be in building material space um, or whether they be in the sort of higher tech sort of, you know, um, Internet of Things or connected um, technology space. Then you've got things like the electrification of transport. Again, you know, here we are talking about electrification. And as and as we electrify transport, we can digitalize it. And there's a lot of sort of there's a, there, there is a strong software element um, to um, 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 the, uh, the, the electrification of, of transport. Um, and again, we see lots of opportunities along that value chain as well. We haven't really invested in many electric car manufacturers themselves, and we see that as being quite a crowded space, um, a lot of competition. You've got all the incumbents alongside a lot of new entrants. Um, but where we do see quite interesting opportunities is in the value chain. Um, the companies making the enabling technologies um, for this, the sensors and connectors, the semiconductors, um, the electrical harnesses. Um, so there's quite a lot of interesting, the, the, the passive electronic components, a lot of interesting um, companies in the supply chain there. And actually, you sort of um, preempted a question I was going to ask you, which is about crowding, because mm. yeah, lots of people are talking about sustainability. And yeah, we, you, you focus on electrification of transport. Do you see the same value in other supply chains that you cover? So is, it, is, is this a broader story? Are there opportunities or is there a crowd out effect, effect which means that the opportunities to outperform and sustainable investing get harder. Um, so I, I, it's certainly it's, it's certainly a very valid question. I think that was very relevant a couple of years ago. When we think back to 2020 and 2021, when arguably there was a bit of an ESG bubble, um, you know, closely linked to the growth bubble that was happening in markets where valuations went up really, really high. And we saw a lot of capital markets activity, a lot of companies coming to market, IPOing, maybe coming out of private equity, um, and a lot of them were associated with, shall we say, ESG story stocks. Um, 
and they came at very high valuations. Uh, they didn't have strong fundamentals. Um, there are also other parts of um, the space where you get uh, what we call ESG story stocks. They've got a good headline story, and you do sometimes get crowding. So we're very disciplined around how we look at valuation um, and the companies we choose to look at. We think there's definitely enough opportunities out there to find attractively valued investment opportunities. And especially when it comes to things like the, or I think, you know, a key focus of ours has been enablers. So generally companies which are a bit less, um, shall we say, um, exciting on the outset, companies making sensors, companies making connectors, companies making um, analog semiconductors, microcontrollers, um, and these are all or passive electronic components. And these are all essential building blocks to enable the electrification of transport or the digitalization um, of industry or the um, um, the, the uh, making buildings greener and smarter. And that's where we see some really um, interesting ideas. So just on the crowding piece, are there any areas you see that you actually would caution against? So are there areas that investors should sort of steer away from that are more prone to, to crowding or could be on the other side of the coin that you talked about the winners but could be the losers as we see this sort of evolution in sustainability? Mm. Well, I think since 2021, it's been quite a challenging market for sustainability. Um, you know, growth and sustainability has been quite challenged areas. Um, so I would say since September 2021, there's almost been a bit of a bear market um, in, in, in some of the sectors that we look at. Uh, certainly this year, uh, we've had very narrow markets. Um, it's all been about the Magnificent Seven, um, you know, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, um, um, et cetera. And a lot of the names that we follow have had quite a rough ride. And that's been in response to the higher interest rates and the market sentiments around higher interest rates and higher discount rates and just lower valuations. Um, so we see much less crowding now and valuations have come down to um, what we think are much more interesting levels across many of the areas um, that we're looking at. So uh, for, for investors who don't work in sustainable investing every day, so it's, it is a minefield as far as the different terms and interpretations, what's meant by sustainable, um, you see some very pure approaches, some less pure approaches, active, passive. Um, so what advice would you give investors and what questions sh should they be asking all fund managers, you know, including yourself, of course, so that they truly understand whether a strategy is right for them? Yes, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really important question because I think the intent of a lot of this regulation has been to try to make that easier for clients, for investors to understand the products they're investing in. But that's not necessarily what we see. We see actually a little confusion, um, and it's actually led to more questions coming from clients. Um, so really, you know, I would say our advice is the same as it's always been, even before the advent of regulation, is that you really need to still do your due diligence and understand your investment manager's philosophy. And one of the things I always really like to say to clients is that uh, when I sit down and speak to um, a new client for the first time or, or even um, you know, a, 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 an, an existing client, and I say, let's just take all sustainability language out of the conversation to start with. And I want to give you our portfolio with no name above it, no text around it, and just a list of names that we invest in. And what I want you to see is a portfolio of really interesting global businesses, the leaders that are leaders in their respective industries or sectors, and that are exposed to powerful secular trends. And ultimately, that's what we think clients should be looking at, is that this is all about, to our mind, it's all about, at the end of the day, generating wealth, compounding wealth for our clients, 
And the logic of sustainable investing ultimately sits behind behind that. So we're, we're almost out of time. And um, I'm going to ask you a, an unfair question to finish off with, which is something that I usually do when I do these podcasts, which is you know, we're, we're talking about equity strategies, which are usually longer term in focus. But I'm going to ask you to sort of get the crystal ball out and talk about the next 12 months, which you know, a lot of investors will be thinking about. And you know, ask you the question about whether you're optimistic for the next 12 months for sustainable equities or is this a time really for someone to be standing on the sidelines and, and waiting for some of this noise to, to die down to see what happens with rates going forward? Um, so I'm, I'm generally cautiously optimistic. Um, I think, uh, and, and that may sound like a bit of a cop-out. <laughs> cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. That may sound like, so, so we are long-term investors. So we're definitely thinking about that longer-term secular growth. Um, and I tend to shy away from talking about the immediate term. Um, I find, you know, the near term market prognostics, you know, very, very challenging. Um, and that's the thing that gives us confidence to investors that we can see these very powerful secular trends. And that feels like, you know, a much um, 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 easier thing for us to latch on to uh, and to have confidence in sort of the, um, the returns that we're going to generate over the next three to five years. In terms of our nearer term outlook, it is linked to that, that, that medium term outlook. Um, you know, valuation is an important starting point. And when I think about where we are today compared to where we were two years ago, I think I've already mentioned it. Um, um, market conditions have been challenging um, over the last 18 months, 24 months. Valuations have come down quite significantly in some of the areas that we're looking at. Um, so out beside, you know, I'm talking outside of high-performance computing and artificial intelligence. You know, we have got some exposure there. We are really excited about ongoing growth there. We think it's going to be very transformative um, to many industries, you know, really um, empowering sort of R&D and innovation across many sectors. But outside of that, there's been a bit of a bear market um, in things like, you know, electrification, um, you know, um, you, know, um, um, also, you know, the automotive sector, um, um, utilities and renewable energy. Um, so valuations, we think are a lot more attractive. Interest rates, um, you know, we see, you know, many people are talking about, you know, um, um, the cycle topping out. You know, and that's generally going to be a better backdrop if we can get confidence that the pace of interest rate rises or the, uh, the, the outlook of interest is going to moderate. Um, then that's going to provide a more supportive backlog um, for growth. And um, yes, I think, you know, hopefully we'll be able to navigate navigate the period of, you know, even if rates stay a little bit higher for, for longer, um, you know, the things that we're concentrating on is the productivity, the underlying cash flows of the companies we invest in remain strong, and that should hopefully see them, you know, see them through um, any sort of, you know, any challenging period. So cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic about okay. the near term. <laughs> Thanks, Hamish. Um, so we're unfortunately out of time, but uh, I just wanted to thank you very much for, for all your thoughts and, uh, and to thank our audience for listening as well. And so, of course, if any of our listeners wish to learn more about Janice Henderson's investment views, or if you have any other questions, then please don't hesitate to contact your client relationship manager or visit our website. So with that, thank you and goodbye. References made to individual securities do not constitute a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector, and should not be assumed to be profitable. Glossary terms. Discount rates determine the present value of future earnings, which allows an investor to have a better idea of the value of a business today. Environmental, social and governance, ESG, also known as sustainable investing, considers ethical factors beyond traditional financial analysis.
A company's fundamentals are the information that contributes to the valuation of a security, such as a company's earnings or the evaluation of its management team, as well as wider economic factors. An initial public offering, IPO, is the process of issuing shares in a private company to the public for the first time. An interest rate is the price paid to borrow debt capital. In other words, it is the cost of money and is determined by the central bank rate. The interest rate cycle, topping out, implies that a central bank has finished its path of raising rates, i.e. that the bank rate has peaked. The SEC and FCA are oversight agencies, in the US and UK respectively, responsible for regulating the securities markets and protecting investors. Secular growth trends are long-term investment themes that are ubiquitous and have strong growth potential. Examples include climate change, artificial intelligence, or changing demographics. Can also be referred to as a long-duration trend. Valuation metrics are used to gauge a company's performance, financial health and expectations for future earnings, e.g., price-to-earnings ratio, or P-E ratio, and return on equity, also known as ROE. The views presented are as of date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janus Henderson Investors is a source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data source from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, Registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janus Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B, the US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janus Henderson Group PLC, C, Canada through Janus Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D. Singapore by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited, Company Registration Number 199700782N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E. Hong Kong by Janice Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan. Limited, regulated by financial services agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Limited, ABN 47124279518, and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office.
This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions on its resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janice Henderson, Knowledge Labs, and Knowledge Shared, are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. C0923-51363-31525TL.